our podcast for you, and you can take a listen to that as well, because we are in week three of our Theology 101 series. And so we started that series talking about the Trinity, and we spent a lot of time talking about why the Trinity is important and explaining some really kind of big ideas about, about how God is unknowable essence and knowable energies, and His knowable energies are grace. And then last week, Pastor Craig went through how many covenants? I know you know the answer. You preached the message. That's not Craig. That's Craig. That's an imposter. We have a pod person, Craig, over there. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but they thought they could fool us, but they missed, forgot his hair. Um, so we'll have to look for the real Craig uh, in, a, in a little bit. Uh, I've already rubbed his head. I, I couldn't resist. Uh, <laughs> throw a little plug there for, for Jordan. Yeah. So today, we're talking about a, a fun thing. Heterodoxy. You're like, what? Heterodoxy. That is a fun way of saying things that aren't quite the truth. Because we talk about Christian doctrine, we have a word called orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is right teaching, the the truth. So we talked about the Trinity, we were talking about orthodox Trinitarian theology. This is what the right way to believe about who God is and how he interacts with the world around us. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the opposite. This is very different than I think any sermon I've ever preached in my life. I'm putting it together and I'm like, this is different. This is a little bit different. So if it's terrible, Pastor Craig wrote it. If it's not, uh, we'll get to explore a little bit about some of these different ideas throughout history about, hey, where has Christian doctrine been taken and twisted to be something other than the gospel? Because there's a funny thing. Most of the time, you and I are very concerned about truth. Because when you go to the store, and let's say you're one of the weird people who still has cash, and you pay for something, you expect truth to happen in that transaction, and they give you the true and the right amount of change back into your hand. If you hand them a $100 bill and you bought a $1 Twix bar, which when did Twix bars start being a dollar? Anyway, that hit me the other day. And you want your $99 back. If that cashier doesn't tell the truth, and isn't concerned with the truth, he's like, I'm just going to give him whatever I grab out of the drawer, and he gives you five bucks back, you're going to be ticked. I want my change. My wife's a nurse. And back when she actually gave patients medication, <laughs> she had to be very concerned about the truth and giving the right amount of medication and the right medication to the right patients. If you know anyone who likes math, mathematicians have to be real concerned with the truth. The, the formulas and all that has to work out. That's why I don't do math. In our justice system, we expect that the juries of our peers are selected and are trying to figure out the truth on whether or not the person is guilty or not. It's, we, we think it's important. 
What's important is not the opinions of everyone in this. It's not important if Aaron decides, you know what, I really think that this patient could use some antibiotics even though they're not here for an infection. Well, her opinion isn't important. What's important is the truth is they get the right medicine for what they need. But suddenly, when we change our topic of conversation and we start talking about religion and spirituality, suddenly, and the accompanying moral questions that go along with all of that, we become relativists. Truth stops being important. Instead of asking who God really is, because we said back in the, the Trinity two weeks ago, we said that our important question to ask is, who is God? And how does that affect us? The truth, for a lot of people, doesn't matter there. Instead, we ask the question, who is God to you? What does God mean to you? Instead of asking whether God expects something from us or has maybe divine commands for us, we judge religion and religious expectations based on what we want. So the truth isn't as important. What's important is what do I want to get out of God and religion? And our The crazy thing is, with this one topic, our objectivity really goes out the window, and subjectivity is the order of the day. We want our religion to be subjective to meet our needs. But as it turns out, the truth really matters. Because the truth affects how God interacts with mankind. And we have to think, well, if there really is truth everywhere else in the universe, then there's probably truth when it comes to spirituality and religion. In fact, I would tell you there is truth when it comes to spirituality and religion. Jesus actually declares this when he says, hey, by the way, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a very objective statement. Jesus doesn't say, no one comes to the Father except through me unless you believe something different. So it seems that the truth mattered to Jesus. And in fact, in John 5, 28 through 29... Jesus says this, he says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So it seems like Jesus is expressing to us that there are consequences to what we believe And then what we believe, how it makes us act, there's consequences to that too. So as it turns out, truth is very important. And we must know God as he has actually revealed himself to mankind. Because at the end of the age, what we believe matters both now and for eternity. Truth matters. What you 
believe and what you do because of what you believe makes a difference to the world around you. And if that's true, and I think it's obvious that it should be that what we believe affects what we do, then if we change what we believe, then we're going to get different results. What we believe matters, and it affects us. If some of you guys were here for, for Pastor Mark when he was talking about his ministry in Myanmar and how years and years of being a Buddhist nation have affected that country because what they believe affects what happens, what they do. This is why doctrine matters, because what you believe is going to affect your actions. If you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, and that Jesus has put you on this earth for his mission, empowered you by his spirit for you to do it, then suddenly that is going to, when you really believe that, it's going to affect what you do. It will affect your priorities. What we believe matters. And if we just kind of believe, you know, whatever, you know, going to church makes me a better person, so I'm going to go to church, and, you know, and, you know, I, I really think Jesus is a great teacher, and a lot I can learn from that, and it really helps me spiritually, that's, that's, that's also going to affect what you do. Because if, if, it's, if Jesus is just one of many options, and it's just an encouraging, motivational moment for you, which whatever gets you in this church, I'm glad you're here, by the way. But I'm telling you that what you believe is going to affect how you live your life. And Jesus wants more for you than to come into a place and to leave a little bit happier. He wants you to change the world. One person at a time, one life at a time. He wants to use you in ways you could never possibly imagine. So what you believe is going to affect what you do with that. All that to say, we're going to go through some heresies. <laughs> That's a fun word to say, right? Um, my brother-in-law, Adam, had a professor in Bible college, and this is one of my favorite stories that he tells me, is that whenever they'd have, they do their, it was a preaching class, and so they'd go up, they'd preach, and he had a little sign that said heresy on it. And so if you, if that sign came up, you failed. Heresy is nothing new. Going heterodoxy, going away from right doctrine is nothing new. In fact, every heretical bad teaching I encounter today is related to these from 2,000 years ago. But the Apostle Paul wrote this to us. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say it again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That doesn't sound nice. Apostle Paul's pretty blunt. If people are corrupting the gospel, he does not like that. And, and, and this long time ago, he was dealing with some particular ones. Who's ready to hear some heresy? Oh, come. Wake up. Wake up. You got, uh, we've served you coffee. 
Who's ready to hear some heresy? It's not something you get to hear in church very often. It's fun. Except for when Craig preaches. Oh, dang it. Okay. Yeah, we're going to do this. Everyone stand up. If you can. If you're not physically capable, you can stay seated. All right. I want everyone to take their hand and put their finger on their nose. Now stick your tongue out. Now talk a little bit like that. Okay, now sit down. I'm trying to get some of the tension out. I feel like you guys are a little like, I don't know what's going to happen. Chill. Relax. We're going to have fun. We're talking about the first one here is docetism. And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation on all of these. So someday when you hear someone who has like more education than me say these properly, you'll go, oh yeah, Pastor, I couldn't pronounce that. And this was the teaching. This is from the first century. So Jesus has rose from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And you got like 30 years later, and some people are saying, no, this isn't, Jesus isn't what he said he was. It's something different. They're saying, hey, Jesus was divine, but he only appeared to be a man. This heresy is mentioned in the New Testament and in the writings a century later of a guy named St. Ignatius of Antioch. And one of the ramifications of this heresy was the idea that physical matter had nothing to do with salvation, this idea of dualism, which is going to turn into another heresy called Gnosticism later. It's a very common thing where we try to make Jesus something different than what he was. All God, all man. In fact, most of these are in some way messing with the Trinity. And they're saying, hey, Jesus was God. He is God. But Jesus is a man. He just, he just looked like it. He wasn't actually a man. And this puts in opposition the spiritual to the physical. Everything physical is bad. Everything spiritual is good. We're going to see that theme, and that's a recurring theme throughout history. The other one we had in the first century was Judaizing. And this was the teaching that Gentiles first had to become Jews before becoming Christians. Or that the Christians needed to adopt more Jewish practices into their church than they had already. And so two guys, Paul, St. Paul and St. Peter, get into a big fight about this. And they have a council about it, and they, they kind of, and they, they shift it around. There's some notes in here that I have for you guys. You can look them up later if you want to, um, but I'm not going to go through all of it. But Judaizing was the idea that you had to become Jewish. And, you know, that was a big, a big thing for a lot of people, because you have all these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, coming into the church, and they're believing in Jesus. And you have this whole group of Jewish men who are telling these Gentile men that you need to get a minor surgery to be a Christian. If you don't know what that is, you can talk to Pastor Craig after service. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it. And so the, the church has to get together and decide, what are we going to do about this? What, are, what, are the, what is the actual implications of all this Old Testament law in this New Testament era of grace? And the Judaizing heresy were the people who were saying, no, we need to be more Jewish. We need to follow the old Jewish stuff. 
And so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the New Testament actually is dealing with some of this, the implications of it. It's Judaizing. Then here's the big boy, Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Can you say Gnosticism? And this is a broad term for a bunch of different teachings that are very dualistic. And basically, they had all these fanciful cosmological ideas, and they had everything was just so mystical, and only people with a certain level of spirituality could actually achieve salvation because they had that special knowledge. And so you have, some of the, you have a bunch of writings, and these come up every year. Uh, somebody will be like, oh, but did you know there was a, the gospel of St. Thomas that didn't make it into the Bible? Gnostic gospel, heresy. Yeah, we, we know those writings are out there. Any biblical scholar knows there's a bunch of extra biblical writings written by Gnostics who claim to be these other people who they weren't and wrote this heretical stuff to try to separate matter from spirituality and to create this sort of false spirituality where you have to have secret teachings. Nothing about the gospel is secret. It's public. It's declared. We talk about declaring the gospel, preaching the gospel. Gnosticism was is con continuing this dualistic weird idea that the physical and the spiritual could not live together. Physical bad, spiritual good. And in some ways, that kind of makes sense. And that's why some of these, these, these heresies are so, so hard to get, get our heads around, because it, it kind of does make sense, because we're like, yeah, here in the physical world, stuff kind of sucks sometimes. And you think about heaven, and we think about heaven and, and, and life with God, and we think that's going to be so good. But when God made all this, he said it was good. And it's, it's a little broken now because of sin, but, but God made it good. And then he acknowledged that it was good when he made, when, he, when Jesus came and he became one of us. And he had the, the, the divine and the human in one. God became one of us, confirming that, hey, this physicality thing, this is something that God made for a purpose and it's good. And then, by the way, as this all goes on, you read the book of Revelations and it talks about a new heaven but it also talks about a new earth. God's not doing away with physicality. That's why these teachings are dangerous, and we'll, we'll hit a few more of them as you go through. They're dangerous because they're denying that, that anything physical can be good when God says this is good, and this, you in a body, that's the long-term plan. Now, for most of us, unless Jesus comes, there's going to be a period where we ditch this for a little bit, and we're, we're, we're spirit and we're in heaven, but at the end of the age, we raise from the dead. And there's a new earth, and we get to be a part of it. God never, never teaches in the Bible that physicality is bad. In fact, he acknowledges that it's good, and it's a part of God's eternal plan for us. Let's talk about Markianism. Marcion, 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 I think it's Marcion. Marcion was a shipbuilder and a semi-Gnostic heretic that taught that the creator God of the Old Testament was not the father of Jesus Christ. 
And in fact, there's two separate gods. Because to Marcion, the Old Testament God was evil and capricious and mean. And the New Testament God was all happy, slappy, clappy on the backies. He was just a good guy. Marcion's kind of, interestingly enough, he, he's known in history as being the first person who tried to put together a New Testament. Um, he, he took a bunch of different writings. He kind of cut out the pieces he didn't like, and he made his own, his own little New Testament and uh, with, with the things that fit his idea about who God is. And he, he takes all of this, and, and he tries to, to say, hey, you know what, this Old Testament God, he's a bad guy. We, now we got to get so again. What 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 do the, all these heresies do? They're taking the idea of God that's orthodox, that's right. Our God is triune, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they're going to twist it. Well, this God is good, but there's obviously an older God who is not. And then there's my good friend Montanus of Montanism. This guy was great. He claimed to be the paraclete, not parakeet. He wasn't trying to be a bird. The paraclete, that's a word for the Holy Spirit. So this guy comes around, he says, I am the Holy Spirit. I'm the comforter, I'm the advocate, and I'm getting all this revelation from God. And he emphasized these kind of direct, highly emotional spiritual experiences. Like they would get possessed and God would speak through them, they claimed. And this actually continued for eight centuries. Eight centuries of heresy, thanks to good old Montanus. Um, if anyone tells you they are the Holy Spirit, they are a heretic. <laughs> because what do we learn about the Trinity? We, we learn that each, each energy of God is unique. So Jesus is, is the, the energies of God, the grace that we see in Jesus. He's the one who is God with us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. The Holy Spirit cannot have flesh because that would make one thing of the Holy Spirit the same as Jesus but not the same as the Father. You guys remember that? There's going to be a test later. Okay. If they say they're the Holy Spirit, they are a heretic and do not listen to them. If they say they're Jesus, they're a heretic too. Uh, but this one, this one particularly. Uh, and and then you go on, and again, some of these are very similar. You have Chile, Chileism. Now, this is a fun one for me, not for you. Uh, this was the teaching that Christ will reign a literal 1,000 years on earth after his second coming. This exists in various forms around up till the 4th century. And in the Nicene Creed, which is one of the early creeds of Christianity where they were establishing what they believed, they put it in the part that said, and whose kingdom will have no end. To refute this. Now, this heresy is fun because we don't know if it's a heresy. This was declared a heresy by the early church, but it is actually what many denominations believe today. That Jesus is after, after uh, who, who hears read Left Behind? Come on, represent. Mark Jr., you never read Left Behind? <laughs> Do you see the Nicolas Cage version? A lot of end times teaching revolves around all this stuff happening, like in those books, and then at the end, Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years, and then there's going to be the final judgment. It's a certain order of cosmological events, which people, which people honestly believe, if I believe this hard enough, then Jesus has to do it the way I say. 
for me, with those sort of things, if you ever hear me teach on, on end times and stuff like that, it's always kind of like, Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do, and Pastor Eric's opinion ain't going to matter one iota to Jesus. Uh, I'm going to see all of us in heaven one day. Jesus, you didn't end the world like I thought you were. Uh, so this is an interesting one, because this was, this was considered a heresy for almost 1,500 years, and now it's something that most of evangelical Christianity believes is how the things are going to end. I'll just leave that with you. I'm not going to comment one way or the other. Why are these all so hard to pronounce? Could these heretics at least use easy words? Apocastasis. Apocastasis. This is universalism. This is the teaching that everyone will eventually be saved even if they reject God in their earthly life. This was condemned at a council in 543. And this is a complicated little bit of doctrine. Uh, we, we won't go into all of it, but uh, throughout history, the church has said, you, has said in different forms, in different ways, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And that we're not going to take the chance that in Scripture, it really seems like these are things that we have to deal with in this life, because in the next life, the decision's over. And there's a whole lot of theological stuff that goes with that. If you, you, you ever have questions, like one of the big questions, maybe you're newer to the church, maybe you're newer to Jesus, is how can a loving God send someone to hell? And I don't have time today to go through all of that because y'all want lunch. But this heresy is, is that everyone is going to someday be saved, and, and, and the church is, has... It's always been people who have, have embraced this heresy throughout history, but it has always been considered heresy. Um, and maybe someday I'll preach a sermon on it. <laughs> if you have questions about it, you can feel free to talk to Pastor Craig after church. Uh, the line's going to form across here. All right. Sabellianism, which is also known as modalism, which I'm going to say modalism because it's so much easier to say. That's modalism, Patrick. It's so much harder to steal things off of YouTube now. I would have played that. Steal, use, borrow. Um, anyway, this was the teaching that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are merely modes of one God. There isn't actually a trinity, but instead that all three persons are God and they're just masks that God wears to reveal himself in different ways. This heresy, which is all the way back to the third century, is actually why the denomination we're a part of, the Assemblies of God, exists. Because early in the Pentecostal movements in the early 1900s, there were a bunch of Pentecostals who decided they were going to be Unitarians and say that the Trinity isn't true. And our denomination was, was a large group of ministers saying, no, we're going to stand for orthodoxy, we're going to stand for right doctrine, we're going to make sure that what we teach and what all of our pastors teach is correct. And again, it's another heresy that's trying to downplay the Trinity or who God is. Noventatism was a kind of a rigorous teaching that said, hey, by the way, because remember, the church is in persecution at this point. If you fall away from the faith because they're about to kill you, and you, you recant, say, oh, don't no, spare the lions, I'm not a Christian, hail Caesar. 
If you do that, you can never come back to the faith. You can, God will not forgive that. This was declared a heresy in 251 because, as it turns out, God's real into second chances. Donatism. This is a fun one because it, it, it's kind of hard. It, this is very foreign to us in our particular church world, but it was the teaching of the moral unworthiness of a clergyman, especially if he had betrayed the faith, like then that, that whole like don't kill me thing, nullifies the validity of the sacraments performed by him. So at this point in the church, you have something a, a, a little bit more liturgical, um, and so the, 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 you, have, you have that main person, a priest or a pastor, blessing the communion and different things, and they believe in sacra- sacraments and stuff like that. And basically, this heresy was, if your pastor stinks, then everything he does doesn't count. And so if, 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 you know, if, if I baptized, baptized you and it turned out I was a real dirtbag, then that baptism doesn't count. You got to do it again. This was declared a heresy, that the things that God does for you and in your life spiritually have nothing to do with whoever is standing up here walking you through it. This is actually a really important teaching even today, because you cannot put your faith in me. You cannot put your faith in Craig. You cannot put your faith in Tim. You can't put it in Fran or Dan or any of our wives or any of those people. Your faith has to be in Jesus, because he's the one who does the changing work in your life. And if you're counting on us, we are going to fail you. I'm going to say something you don't like. Weekly, probably. I'm going to miss a phone call. I'm gonna, there's so many ways that I'm imperfect. So that's why your faith has to be in, in Jesus and his finished work on the cross for you and not in the people who stand up here. Arianism, this is fun to talk about around Christmas because Arius, who taught this heresy, tradition states, I don't know if this is true, but I believe it's true. St. Nicholas slapped him in the face at an economical council because he was a heretic. And that's, I love that Santa just freaking decked a heretic. Oh, hallelujah. I believe that is true. So this dude taught that Christ was a created being rather than God. So Christ was created, as instead of being uncreated. He denied that the Son was one, of one essence, that unknowable part with the Father. And it, it continued on for, for some time. And I think, I'd like to say it continued until Santa... Someday in heaven, I'm going to ask for an instant replay on that moment. I, I want to see it. That's Arianism. Again, Christ is a created being. We have some, Ari- some Arianism in our modern world. I can tell you one major group. Jehovah's Witnesses are under the heresy of Arianism because they believe that Jesus was a created being and not God. These heresies just recur throughout history. With Arianism is semi-Arianism. It also denies that the Son is of one essence, but admitted he was of a similar essence, the difference of one iota, yada, yada, yada. Apollinarianism 
think I said that right, was the teaching by Apollinarius that Jesus did not have a human mind, but rather he had a human body and lower soul, and that the divine logos took the place of his mind. People go through a lot of work to say that Jesus isn't who Jesus was. Like, they're coming up with all these creative ways. Well, he was God, and he was, but, but his mind wasn't human. Oh, why? pseudo is. <laughs> Heretics, if you're watching this online, use shorter names for your heresies. This was the teaching that the Holy Spirit was not divine, also called Macedonianism after its founder, Macedonius. They're named this because that means in Greek that they fought against the Spirit. And easy pronunciation. And this actually resulted in a part of the Nicene Creed that further explains the Holy Spirit is God. Jehovah's Witnesses are also guilty of this. Um, and so are Mormons. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is not actually God in both those religions, but a, a, a force of God. Pelagrianism in the 4th century taught that a man was capable of salvation without the assist, assistance of it. Man is capable of salvation without the assistance of divine grace. We can save ourselves. This, of course, was condemned at the Third Academical Council. This is also a very common heresy for us because we'd like to think that we could do it on our own. But we need divine grace. I can't even say this stuff sometimes. Like, uh, how much more do I need grace for my eternal destiny? Nestorarianism, taught by Nestorarius, right? The patriarch of Constantinople. So he's a bishop. A bishop is teaching this. He taught that instead of one person with two natures, Jesus Christ was rather two persons conjoined together by goodwill, one divine and one human. Thus, Nestorarius refused to call St. Mary, the Theotokos, or the Virgin Mary, Theotokos, which means birth giver to God, but said would only call her Christotokos, birth giver to Christ, but not God. Are you starting to sound familiar as we go through them? Jesus isn't who Jesus said he was. Monothelitism, the teaching that Christ had only one will, the divine will, rather than a human will as well. Sounds familiar. Mono Energism, which is closely related to monophiliatism and monoelitism, the heresy taught Christ only had one energy, the divine energy, as opposition to, to Orthodox Christian doctrine that Christ has both human and divine energies. Now we have one that's a little different. Filioqueism. Filioque. Who's ever heard the phrase filioque? Craig, you know what the filioque is? Valley Forge, come on. (laughs) 
The teaching that the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally, not only from the Father, but the Father and the Son. This is actually the heresy that caused a moment in history known as the Great Schism, where the, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church separated apart from each other in 1054. Um, it's because the, the, the Latin Church added this to the Nicene Creed. And it has real implications for uh, Trinitarian doctrine and stuff like that. Um, and I could talk about this for a long time, but I won't do that to you. Basically, there is a disagreement of how the Holy Spirit comes into the world, whether it proceeds from the Father or from the Father and the Son. And that caused the first major church split, which was the, the, all of the churches split off. And you had, then you had the, the Orthodox Greeks and you had the, the Latin Catholics. But again, what's going on here? They're trying to change how the Trinity works. Second Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote this, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. The truth matters. And a lot of these, like, again, even when we were talking about Trinity two weeks ago and some of the stuff with covenants, like some of its big ideas... But if you could boil that down to anything today, I want to tell you today the gospel is better. When all these things, trying to change who Jesus is, trying to change how, how, who God is, trying to change the way of salvation for us, in every single case, the gospel is better. Because these kind of boil down into the three major categories, legalism, Gnosticism, and Unitarianism. The gospel is better than legalism. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. And all that old law, he fulfilled it. And he, and he made it better into a new covenant where we come to him in grace. The gospel's better. Don't fall into legalism. Don't, don't start saying, hey, you know what? I really feel like that if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to follow all these rules that I've come up with because that's going to make you seem a little more holy. You're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts sin. You don't. And there is a certain way we, we, we live as Christians, but, but this, this heresy of legalism that takes us back to the Old Testament law, the gospel's better. Because the gospel, instead of restricting and saying, hey, if you're not a part of this nation, you're outside. Jesus came and said, now this gospel, this gospel is for everybody. It's for all nations. It's for all people. And anyone can come to me and find life. You don't have to get cleaned up to come into church. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. He takes you just as you are. And then he takes you through a process of discipleship where he makes you more and more like him. The gospel's better. Gospel is better than Gnosticism. This idea that somehow matter is all bad and broken and that all these spiritual things are good. The gospel is better. And Jesus says, hey, all of this 
physical stuff. I'm redeeming it, and I'm restoring it, and I want to use you to do it. Right now, the kingdom of God is coming, and it's here. And Jesus says, on my mission, I want to use you to redeem. There's brokenness in the world, but you can make a difference in my name. You can lead people to life in my name. You can be a change maker in your world in my name. And you can start redeeming and restoring the world around you. And at the end of the age, I'm going to fix it all. This isn't broken. This is part of Jesus' plan, and it's better. And the gospel's better than Unitarianism or any, any of these twistings of the Trinity or who Jesus is. The gospel is better because the gospel teaches us that the energies of God in our world around us are grace. So every way that God interacts with us in proper Trinitarian theology is grace. And when that gets corrupted, it starts turning into these things where somehow God is a destructive force or somehow somehow that God isn't who he says he is, or the Old Testament God is bad and the New Testament God is good. All, these, all this garbage, no. Since the beginning of time, God has interacted with us through grace. The gospel is better. And it's important for us to be able to identify what truth is. And I hope today I've given you at least a starter. Some of you, I, I hope that you'll, you'll, you'll dig into this a little bit, but... It's important that we know what truth is because truth is truth. It's not relative. It's truth in every part of our lives. Now, God has revealed himself to us is the truth. And it can affect how you live every single day of your life. Would you pray with me?